You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Fighting Tigers are going to Baton Rouge North as they advance to Omaha for the 19th time in program history. We'll recap the Super Regional win here on Crunch Time today. What's going on, Matt Miguez here? Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We will also get to game five of the NBA Finals. Can the Denver Nuggets close it out and win their first title in franchise history? And so much more, including a 72-foot putt to win the Canadian Open. Have you ever seen anything like it? We'll get to all of that and your calls on the game hotline. But first, producer and co-host, it's Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Monday. If you could describe your feelings of LSU going to Omaha in one word, it would be blank. I don't know if I have a feeling, but I have a word. Deserving. Deserving. LSU is very deserving to go. Especially with the performances that we've seen since we've gotten into postseason play. Like we had worries toward the end of the season of look, the the bullpen's not working out. Sometimes the offense can't bail you out of games, and you're like, Are we totally sure that LSU can even get to Omaha? Correct. Well, since regional play and even with SEC tournament, you're like They've taken they've taken a couple steps forward and actually proved why they should have been the number one team throughout ninety percent of the regular season. The offense got better when I didn't even think that, that was possible, and then the bullpen has been fantastic in the postseason. I mean, Riley Cooper has been great. Griffin Herring has been good when he was called upon. Nate Ackenhausen, and then, good God, Gavin Gidry. The freshman from Barb has been nails for LSU. And yes, I'll say it again, the freshman has been incredible. LSU outscored Kentucky, a national seed, so far from a scrub. LSU outscored the Wildcats 22-3 on the weekend. It's pretty close to what we saw last night with uh, Wake Forest and Alabama. Oh, God. That was oh that God. was 22-5. Whoever came up with the idea of saying, we're, we're not going to end games early in the postseason. Regardless of the score, you have to play nine innings. Why? I just want to have a conversation with that guy. <laughs> I, What's the point? When when the when the game hits seventeen to three, or or whatever the score ended up being at, at any given point, it, it's it's time to go home. Or like you saw on Saturday with game one, it's time to go home. It was fourteen to nothing. It's time to go home. Like it, you should have called it after it was eleven. After seven innings, if it's a ten run lead, done. You're done. 
It should be that way. I, I'm going to be quite honest. It should be that way at every level of baseball. Because I'm not going to say that there's 0% chance that you come back and score 10 runs in the final two innings. But the chances of that happening are so very slim that it, it almost feels like it's not even worth it to play those last two innings for that slim chance. Right, because like it, it would be like, what, once every 10 years maybe you see a crazy comeback of a team coming back from 10-plus runs? Yeah. And even then, that kind of feels generous. Even, like It could be once every 15 to 20 years. Are we sure we want to have that rule maintained just for that one game every 10 to 20 years? Yeah, Is it really I worth just, it? I just think that they would the, the, the NCAA would be much better off just allowing it to be in a run rule. And when when games get out of hand, just end it. Because when when I saw it was eleven zero LSU, I was like, oh, they're gonna call it. And then I remembered, oh yeah, we still haven't finished the game because we still play all nine innings. Correct. And I was like, this is so stupid. We could have we could have been done two hours ago. Yesterday's game, an eight three win for LSU. Kentucky started off with a bang, getting a solo home run from Jackson Gray on just the second pitch of the afternoon to make it one to nothing LSU would answer in the top of the second to tie the game and then in the third LSU comes away with four runs with a fielder's choice to score a run and then a little later in the third Gavin Duga or K Beloso excuse me a three-run homer to right center that was absolutely torched. And later in the inning, Tommy White with an RBI single to score Jordan Thompson for the fourth run. And then LSU would add on in the ninth as well with three runs in the ninth inning to come away with that 8-3 to victory. Ty Floyd got the start, pitched okay. He wasn't great. Uh, Riley Cooper comes in behind him, has a great game, gets credited with the victory. And then we mentioned Gavin Guidry, who, who came in and was just absolutely dynamite for the LSU Fighting Tigers. Well, what's going to be interesting, though, James, is now the Tigers advance to Omaha. And they will play the winner of Tennessee and Southern Miss. Game three is scheduled for this afternoon. However, Mother Nature has gotten in the way yet again. As of 3.35, this is according to Southern Miss's Twitter page, as of 3.35 p.m., we are in an inclement weather delay. We will provide updates as they become available to us. And then I saw a tweet from a Knoxville... TV sports anchor that said Tennessee was loading up the buses at their hotel and they were told to go back to their rooms. So James, it could be a late night in Hattiesburg, but this is where it also gets interesting. According to the NCAA, a winner take all game in a super regional can take place on Tuesday if necessary. 
So Jay Johnson and company might not get any answers tonight. But what that's going to do, more than likely, because you're not going to know your opponent, more than likely LSU's side of the bracket with Wake Forest won't play until Saturday. You'll probably play the side of the bracket that has already been decided with Florida and Oral Roberts, that side of the bracket. I imagine that those two games would take place on Friday. And then the top part of the bracket, which so far consists of Wake Forest and LSU, and then it'll have the winner of Stanford, Texas, and the winner of Tennessee Southern Miss. That side of the bracket would play Saturday since that's the half of the bracket that's still in question. But now you might have to wait a whole other 24 hours to get your answers. Because Mother Nature strikes again. I made... All, <laughs> all the more reason we should just go to domes. I made, I made the joke over the weekend. I made two jokes. Baseball should be an indoor sport. And a with, with how hot it is in Louisiana this time of year, if it is outdoors... It should not be played after five. It should not be played before five p.m. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You were there at the box on Saturday, right? Yes. <laughs> you want to talk about that experience? So, <laughs> so you started. So the game was supposed to start at two. At two, Raymond Parsh the third and I trek over to Baton Rouge. We pick up our parking pass. We pick up our credentials. We go in. We get set up. Everything's great, right? About, Call some chaos. It's about 140, or, or yeah, 130, 140 when I get everything set up. And as we're walking in, you hear Bill Franquez on the on the PA. Uh, the game is in a weather delay. There's lightning in the area. There was no lightning in the area. I will argue. It was within 10 miles, right? No, it wasn't. It wasn't even 10 miles? No, it wasn't. I pulled up the Weather Channel app on my phone, and I, pulled up, I put the lightning filter on, and it said no lightning detected within 30 miles. 30 miles. No lightning detected. So, look, I, I wasn't in the meeting where they had the conversation. I would so hope you wouldn't be there. I, I'm not going to say that they were downright liars. I'm not going to call anybody a liar. But the sun was shining. I saw no, no clouds resemblance. No, I don't believe that. But the game was delayed until 3 o'clock. Not optimal, but you know what that does? That gives me time to eat lunch. So I, I take my little meal ticket because LSU gave us passes to get a free meal from the concession stand. Go over, get my food, sit down, eat. All good. I finish my food. Bill Frankas comes back on the PA. The game has been postponed until 7.06 p.m. Bill, it's 2.45 Ray and I both looked at each other and said, we're covering this one from home, aren't we? Yep. We sure are. Got back in the car, came back home. I covered it from the house because the game didn't start until almost 9 o'clock. I think first pitch was 9.06. Oh, man. But then yesterday, yesterday went off without a hitch. It never got delayed. They played the, the game in its capacity Yesterday went off without a hitch. Saturday could have gone off without a hitch if you'd have played it at 2 o'clock. I know hindsight's twenty twenty, 
But looking back on it, you could have played two games. Game and a half. Because it started raining about 6, 6.30. You, you could have got a game and a half in before any weather showed up. Again, not going to criticize anybody in event, event management, NCAA, anybody. However, I will say that Saturday was poorly executed. But I digress. Things happened the way they happened. Clearly, it worked out because Paul Skeens was still, even seven hours later, was dynamite. They made up for it with that performance, for Uh, sure. Home runs galore. Trey Morgan hits two. Dylan Cruz got in on the party. Tommy White hit two. I mean, that was just... Wow. I asked Tommy White last night on the field uh, following the game I asked him I said man you know talk, talk about the the environment you know of a super regional at Alex box what was it like experiencing it for the first time word for word he said I have never experienced an environment like this in all my years of playing baseball he said this is wild so he clearly enjoyed the supers LSU advancing to the college world series once again for the 19th time in program history, we'll, we will await to see who they play and when they play them. But you know that we'll have the coverage for you right here on the game. Got a great show lined up for you today. We'll take a timeout when we return. Hear from Jay Johnson following the win last night, as well as Dylan Cruz and Cade Beloso right here on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're running a little low on cash, not to worry. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. As a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse. Once again, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's super simple. So go sign up today. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 419, welcome 420. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. So, James, it's not a foreign concept that head coaches get bonuses or incentives when they reach certain milestones. Correct? So That is a correct statement. Jay Johnson was set to earn about $1.25 million this season as the head coach of LSU baseball. Well, last night, for winning the Super Regional, he will get a check for $50,000. He can earn another hundred grand if LSU advances to the best of three championship series, and another hundred grand if they win the national championship. So $200,000 is still up for grabs and incentives for head coach Jay Johnson. And so far in the postseason, which has been two weeks now 
He's already earned 60000 in bonuses. He got 20000 for LSU making a regional, and then he got an additional 40000 for hosting a super. The bonus would have been just a, a measly 25000 if they would have had to go on the road for the super. So, James, the, the, the point is, is that uh, Jay Johnson, not that he was ever struggling for money, um, has a little bit extra spending cash th- this summer. The pockets are a little deeper. Yeah. he. The, if the wife wants to go buy a, a 10-carat tennis bracelet, I, I, don't, I don't think Jay's going to tell her no. Um, and that is certainly not a bad problem to have. If you're a college baseball coach, anyways, head coach Jay Johnson met with the media following the 8-3 to victory for the Tigers, and here is his opening statement. Wow, first off, thanks for your patience. Um, that's special out there and did not want to rush uh, off the field. And So proud of this team. Um, coming here was a big move personally and professionally and um, – just had a vision of what tonight would look like. And, um, you know, I just I wanted these guys to experience that so bad. And um, this is about the players and whether it's culture, team, buy-in, connectedness, whether it's baseball, um, there's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears put in the bucket over the 700-whatever days we've been here. And uh, they're champions. And um, really excited to go to Omaha and chase a national championship with them. And um, if they are in character, um, we have a great chance to do that. Jay Johnson mentioned, thanks for the patience. James, we were out on the field post-game for a solid hour before anyone even talked about heading to the tent for the post-game press conference. I mean, it was a while. Nobody wanted to leave the, the, the field of Alex Box, I mean, first time you make it to Omaha since 2017. Uh, this was definitely a, a big deal. It's only the third time that Jay Johnson's made it in his career. Uh, he was a runner-up in Omaha several years ago in 2016, going 49-24. and 24, And again, runner-up at the College World Series. And he went in 2021, the season after COVID. That was his final year at Arizona before coming to LSU. Jay Johnson was asked, how will your previous trips to Omaha help you with this group now? Yeah, I think for tonight, it's like they have to enjoy this tonight. Like, I, I'll tomorrow morning I'll be guns blazing. Who are we playing? What day are we playing? What time? Practices lined up at Creighton and all of those types of things. Um, you know, I think you want them to enjoy getting to the College World Series. I mean, outside of Cooper and Bryce and Christian Little, none of these guys have been there. You know what I mean? So they need to enjoy this. Then you start moving into the last couple weeks haven't been by accident. We have prepared at an elite level. I mean, the last two weeks have been awesome. I mean, like back to training camp. January is like my favorite time of the year because it's like we're guns blazing. That's what the last two weeks have been. so we're going to have a, a good practice here Tuesday. Wednesday, we'll fly out there. We'll practice there on Wednesday, practice in the stadium on Thursday. So, like, enjoy all those things that come along with it. I have no worries about their self-discipline of turning it on when the lights come on. I mean, they're, they're salivating at the bat rack to get to the plate. You know, everybody wants to take the ball. 
and so I said this before or going into last night, the things that we needed to do to win tonight are the same that won us 47 games before that, and it's no different, you know, in uh, Charles Schwab Field. But it's the same things, and they know what they need to do to prepare, and they know what they need to be when they need to be it, and that gives me great confidence in how we'll take the field on Saturday. Dylan Cruz, who has had a storybook career at, at LSU, more than likely going to be the top overall pick by the Pittsburgh Pirates next month, talked about his final at bat in Alex Box Stadium and how he walked up to the plate feeling a little bit nervous. Yeah, I mean, I have before. No, I'm not going to lie. I'm nervous for every at-bat, really, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just through all my training, really, like I said, I was really just able to control myself and control my breathing. And, um, you know, it didn't make it any better when my walk-up song was playing. So, But it, it was fun. It was, it was awesome. And um, it was good. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a spark hit us late in this year, which is, which is a, a great timing. And, um, you know, I, we're just going to keep moving forward with this momentum we have. That two-run double that Dylan Cruz delivered in the ninth was so incredibly clutch. Um, Look, you know, Dylan Cruz is a guy that just time and time again has delivered for this LSU baseball team. He has found a way to give you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it, and has just been a mainstay in, in this lineup. I mean, 433, he's got 17 homers, 14 doubles, 64 RBIs. He was walked 61 times this season. That That's the thing that makes Dylan Cruz special. Yes, he's got power. 17 home runs is, is a solid season from a home run perspective. Dylan Cruz finds ways to get on base. I mean, he has an on-base percentage after playing and starting in every game this season. Dylan Cruz has an on-base percentage of 570. He gets on base nearly three out of every five plate appearances. He finds ways to get on base. And it's incredibly impressive what he's been able to do. We're going to have a conversation in hour number two on whether or not he's the best Tigers baseball player ever. Uh, there, there's a lot of arguments that can be made for him. And then obviously, of course, there's you know Todd Walker, Eddie Furness, Ben McDonald. Uh, so so that's, a, that's a big debate right now. You know, is, is he the best Tiger to ever wear the uniform? We'll get into that in hour number two. But another big play yesterday was the three-run homer from Cade Beloso. And after the game, Beloso gave his thoughts on his approach at the plate. Uh, I mean, it, it means everything. Uh, you know, I was just so happy we won the game today. And, uh, you know, in that at bat, I was, I was just trying to hit a fly ball to center field and, you know, ended up getting a good pitch over the heart of the plate and, you know, put a good swing on it. And, you know, that gave us a lead. And that's what I was really excited about. You know, anytime you have momentum and postseason is, is uh, huge. And it was on our side after that. And that's what I was really excited about. And lastly, we spoke earlier about the bullpen being so big here in the postseason. Riley Cooper, who was the winning pitcher in yesterday's game, talked about the bullpen and how it came up clutch. It felt great to do. And, um, you know, if I'd say if we had a crutch all year, it'd be the bullpen. And um, it was just good to show that that's not our crutch and that we can 
hold our own. We'll have more from Jay Johnson later on in the show, but right now we'll take a timeout. Cokie Riley of the Daily Advertiser joins us next. He was in the box all weekend. He'll give you his thoughts on how the weekend went down and what the Tigers can expect in Omaha. Coming up next. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back inside the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Crunch Time on the game. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Talking about LSU advancing to the College World Series in Omaha with an 8-3 win last night over Kentucky. Again, outscored the Wildcats on the weekend 22-3. The offense was there. The defense was there. Has LSU finally put it all together at the right time? Cokie Riley of the Daily Advertiser joins us to discuss that and what to expect in Omaha. Cokie, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing great. How's it going, Matt? I think I saw you there last night. All yeah, right. I was. I was there. Okay. I was there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, let's let's start with last night's game before we go back all the way to Saturday. Um, you know, just a. At first, it looked like the three runs and then the five runs really wasn't going to be enough to, to beat Kentucky, and then they got some insurance late from from Dylan Cruz to, to win the game 8-3. to three. You know, just kind of talk about what you saw last night as the Tigers win another Super Regional. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you said, when it was 5-3, to three, um, the, the game was kind of in a strange, ominous point because – Riley Cooper pitched, kept on pitching really well, and Gavin Guidry got into that got into that jam and had to get out of it um, in the seventh inning. That huge, huge play. Remember that double that um, I forget which Kentucky player hit right down the line that looked like it was fair, but it was foul by an inch or inch or two, and um, that would have scored both runs and probably tied the game and you know changed the complexion of everything we're talking about today, but. I mean, I just say all that because it just felt so important for LSU to get those insurance runs, and they eventually got them in the ninth. But I, I do still think that, like, at the end of the day, this, they, they won this regional, and they're here, and they're playing good baseball right now because of this bullpen. Like, suddenly, um, it's – I don't know if it is the strength of the team, but it might be a strength of the team, or at least the way that they're playing right now. I mean, Riley Cooper, uh, three shutout innings, um, like Gavin Guidry, two and two thirds shutout innings. Like you just weren't getting stuff like that earlier in the year, and um, and I mean all all that. It's it's just it's just absolutely huge. I mean, there's no there's there's no there's no other way to describe it. Like what they're doing um, is just is is just really impressive. Uh, this bullpen, the way that they've been performing, even Thatcher Hurd, who. Gave up a couple of home runs in that Oregon State game, but was still able to keep them in the game and got 12 strikeouts and really showed a, showed off his um, elite stuff. And Nate Ackenhausen's reliable. Griffin Herring's reliable. They have real left-handed options, which is something they didn't have last year. Um, I, I, if this bullpen keeps on pitching like this, this team can win the whole thing. And um, if you want to make a case for how or why they can, um, I think this bullpen would be the would would be where I would start because everyone knows about schemes and everyone knows about knows about the lineup already. You know, you brought up the bullpen and I and I agree it's really, you know, come full circle for those guys here in in the postseason. 
And when the season started, you had faith in the bullpen, but then you, you know, Garrett Edwards gets hurt and Chase Shores goes down with an injury, and then other guys kind of had to step up, and the bullpen kind of took a hit from it. But, man, you mentioned Riley Cooper. He's been great. Thatcher Hurd, Griffin Herring. But can we talk about the freshman out of Barb? Gavin Gidry has just been absolutely phenomenal as this this closer role that Jay Johnson currently has him in. I mean, he just comes in and shuts the door on his opponents. Yeah, I mean, that crazy slider that he has um, that he probably throws more often than his fastball at this point. Uh, and it's just that incredible downward movement. And it looks like a curveball coming out of his hands, at least. And you could argue that it's basically a curveball as well. But either way, it's a breaking ball that's um, that's working incredibly well for him at the moment. And, uh, yeah, it's it, it, this guy was a shortstop a middle infielder and someone who was fighting for the starting second base job at the very beginning of the year. And now he's closing out games for this team, which is just a really wild um, turn of events for him. And yes, he was a pitcher in high school, but I mean, he, he, he has, uh, he, I mean, Jay Johnson said that he wanted to be recruited uh, as a, as a hitter first and infielder first coming out of high school. And, um, they definitely tried to give him that opportunity, and he has played some innings in the field. I think he's had a couple of bats as well, but obviously he's been just a huge piece for this bullpen um, for really most of the year at this point. I think the first time they really threw him into a big role was that South Carolina series, and it's kind of only gone up from there for him. So, um, yeah, he at this point he is – if you call Thatcher Hurd a starter, then he's the best right-handed reliever that this team has right now. Um, and even if you don't, then he still might be the best right-handed reliever they have. You know, you talked about how everybody knows what they're going to get out of the lineup. Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, Trey Morgan, Cade Beloso, you know, so on and so forth. But last night, watching the 12,000-plus people at Alex Box Stadium just come to their feet when, when Dylan Cruz took his last at bat at Tigers at Alex box stadium, just kind of talk about that moment and, and the impact that Dylan Cruz has had on this baseball program. Yeah. I mean, it was a historic moment in LSU baseball history. I mean, it was probably one of the most memorable hits that, you know, a single player could ever have. It was something that, um, that can only be scripted. <laughs> it felt like one of those moments that can only be scripted. Right. I mean, the super duper star, player in his final at bat who you know with one swing of the bat can essentially send his team to the college world series and that's exactly what happened um and that's because you know sports and sports are a beautiful thing and it's um can be really really poetic sometimes and also because you know dylan cruz is the best best college baseball player on the planet and um and just un, just unbelievable and, and I, I would be surprised if his name doesn't get uh, his number in number doesn't get retired up at the box um, a few years down the line. He's just such a special player. And um, I, I don't know. I, the Pirates would be making a mistake if they don't pick him number one. There's really, I mean, yes, you could pick at how high is the ceiling really? Can he play center field? Like these are questions and I understand it. And with top picks, you have to pick nits, right? But um, he is, he is the full package, especially at the plays and, um, yeah, it, it's really hard for me to not see him be at least an all-star caliber player at the major league level. 
now you brought up Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz. You know, obviously they have the potential to go one and two, and it would be the first time in MLB draft history that the one and two pick come from the exact same program. The fact that a guy like Paul Skeens went largely unrecruited, uh, went to Air Force and didn't really believe that he had a future in professional baseball, now comes to LSU and he's arguably the best pitcher in the country this year. I mean, that just goes to show you just how crazy college athletics can get sometimes. Yeah, and I wouldn't even say arguably. I think he just is the best college pitcher um, in the country just because, I mean, do you know anyone else who can throw 101 the ninth inning after, you know, throwing the entire, right. the full nine innings? Um, <laughs> the answer is nobody because what he does on the mound, no one else could match. Um, he, he, he just, he's just, no one is more dominant um, in college baseball right now than Paul Skeens is on the mound. It's, his velocity is absolutely elite. The slider's as good as anyone else's, even at a change of the boot. So um, it's it's really incredible just seeing the consistency he has shown this season. And um, in, a, in a league, in a sport where college baseball, where offense reigns supreme, like for him to put up these sort of numbers, have a 1.7 ERA on the season, is in the SEC, by the way, is just absolutely mind-boggling. And um uh, he's going to give LSU a great chance to win that first game, whether it's Tennessee or Southern Miss. So, um, I, I it's it's such an advantage to have a guy like that because you don't have to rely on your bullpen as much. You know, the offense doesn't have as much pressure on it than it usually has on days when he starts. Like, it's just there's just a domino effect to it that really really helps out the team, even outside the fact that he's just striking everybody out when he's in the game. Chatting with Cokie Riley here on Crunch Time. You brought up Tennessee Southern Miss. They're in a weather delay right now. Uh, surprise, surprise, that's been the story of the weekend. Um, but it, it's so bad in Hattiesburg right now, Cokie, that the discussions on social media are, will they be able to play the game tonight? Um, yeah. You know, how, how does that change yeah. things for LSU if the game doesn't get played till perhaps tomorrow? Well, if you think about it, it could be a strategic advantage not, not in the sense of that you know you won't know it, it, you'll it'll be an extra day before you know who you're going to play that's not good but i mean you're going to have two extra days rest over whoever you're going to play and that's not as big of a deal in baseball as it is in um in, in say basketball uh because really it's about the pitchers and they'll, and, and whoever wins that game will still have three days for their bullpen to rest um but uh, it, it's still an advantage, and you, you, they're going to LSU will almost certainly be the fresher team heading into that matchup if um, if it indeed goes to a Tuesday, and they were going to be the fresher team anyway if, since it's since they're playing today, so uh, or at least they're supposed to play today. So uh, yeah, I think LSU fans are antsy and they want to know who they're going to play, and I think Jay Johnson's antsy right now as he's trying to prepare for probably both teams at the same time. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that the fact that LSU played Southern Miss last year and is familiar with sort of their style of play and who, who someone like Tanner Hall is and what challenges he could bring to to uh, that Saturday game if he were to start. And um, obviously LSU played Tennessee this year in that three-game series, so there's familiarity there with all their pitchers. And LSU did a pretty good job of hitting those elite pitchers as well as anyone else in the country has this season. So... Um, that's that's going to be a big advantage for LSU. So just having kind of having that familiarity with both teams 
kind of like diminishes the whole uh, worry of, uh, I guess, preparing for preparing for either one. Um, but yeah, I, I think actually overall in the big picture, I, it's probably a little bit more of a help if this goes to a Tuesday. Um, but just as like college baseball fans in general, it would be a shame for it to go to a Tuesday since I think for the most for most of the day, if I'm not mistaken, it's been pretty nice in Hattiesburg. But because they put the game at six o'clock, right when right. those thunderstorms are going to happen, now we're looking at a Tuesday. Right, <laughs> you know, super regional, so it's a shame. Koki, lastly, you know, Jay Johnson, when he arrived in Baton Rouge two years ago, he, he said that his goal was to get this team to Omaha and, and to win national championships. For him to deliver on that promise so quickly, uh, j- just talk about the legacy that he's already starting to build for himself in Baton Rouge. Yeah, I mean, he built a powerhouse in just two off-seasons, basically in one off-season by bringing in Paul Skeens and Tommy White to a roster that already had already had someone like Dylan, Dylan Cruz in a really deep lineup. Um, and he's just become a portal king. And when top names go into the transfer portal now, now they're, now LSU is attached to almost all of them just because of uh, John, the, tra- the track record he has quickly assembled in that respect. And he was already one of the best recruiters in the country when they hired him. Um, despite the fact that he didn't have any SEC experience, it hasn't mattered at all. They had the number one recruiting class in the nation um, this year, and they're recruiting some hotbeds like California and Texas for some of these kids, like Chase Shores, Texas kid, um, Jaden New, California guy. Like it's it, it is it it's really really impressive the way he's built this roster. And when you build a roster that's that talented, it makes getting to Omaha a lot more feasible, a lot more easier. And um, we saw it this year, even with some of the injuries that they've um, gone through in the bullpen and the rotation. A guy like Grant Taylor not being on this team. Imagine if he was on this team; it, it would be it would be kind of ridiculous, to be honest. Um, and I mean, now even and now, I mean, they they have the most talented roster heading into Omaha. They might not be the favorites just because of how well Wake Forest is playing, and I think Wake Forest deserves that. Uh, distinction, distinction, just given how dominant they've been in recent weeks. But um, I, I, if LSU won at all, I don't think anyone would be surprised. Cookie Riley of the Daily Advertiser joining us here on Crunch Time. Cookie, appreciate you as always. Um, I, I, I'm imagining you're headed to Omaha this weekend. Yep, I'm uh, heading to Omaha, leaving Wednesday, and I'll be there for the just the big media availability day on Thursday. Good for you. Enjoy it. And uh, once again, appreciate the time, my man. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. And there he goes, Cokie Riley of the Daily Advertiser. We'll take a timeout, wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We here at the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, know you love our shenanigans, both on and off the air. So go subscribe to our YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. Click the bell so you can get notifications when we post our brand new content and post game recaps. So go see more of our fun behind the scenes at The Game Louisiana. Once again, that is at The Game Louisiana on YouTube. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stanley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time. I was wrapping up our number one here from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Now, we've been talking about the LSU Tigers baseball team moving on to Omaha. It's well-deserved, but continuing with that, we've also got the poll question of the day on Facebook and Twitter. Go ahead and vote on it if you haven't already and comment what you think. What is the most notable thing that happened about the LSU Super Regionals over the weekend? Was it the weather shenanigans hmm. was the offensive explosion was it the bullpen strength or was it something else that really caught your eye i mean of course you can always look at the bullpen strength with them shutting them down on saturday and then only allowing the wildcats to score three runs on sunday but then you could also look at the offense scoring 14 runs on saturday and then putting up another eight on sunday but if neither of those happen i think what would have overshadowed everything in my eyes was the absolute shenanigans that happened on Saturday because, I mean, Jay was basically looking for a three-hour window. That way there would be no hiccups in the game. And I I, I get that. Right. I, I, I get the reason why you did it because you don't want to go like three, four innings with Skeens and knowing you can go six, seven, eight, nine with him, but then he has to take a pause because you take an hour plus of a weather delay. I totally get it, but it was like, man, you could have started at 2 o'clock, but you were worried something was going to happen at, at 3 o'clock, 3.30. And then also, here's the other thing. Typically, if you're worried about the weather, don't you move games up instead of back? Or if you really feel this, or if you're that nervous or that concerned about the weather... And having your ace, why not just have maybe, the ace do the next game? Maybe don't pitch Paul. Yeah, there, there's an idea. Why not start Ty Floyd in game one? Or with how good Thatcher Hurd's been, maybe trot him out there. And then you could have pitched Paul Skeens in game two last night. I, I threw that idea out on social media. Move the game up. Pitch Paul on Sunday instead of Saturday. There were a lot of things you could have done in, in that instance. My obviously the bullpen w- was incredible this weekend, right? Because you saw improvement from them from the regionals, but you weren't totally sure if you were going to see that happen again. You thought it would like Kentucky would have taken one game, or if both games would have been super tight. But I mean, outside of a couple of innings. That was pretty much all LSU. The moment that stood out to me, I, th- I think the most from the weekend, was Dylan Cruz's last at bat last night. When his music hit, that that at bat was a moneymaker. When his music hit, I'm not sure if there was a person sitting down at Alex Box Stadium. Everybody was chanting Cruz. Everybody was clapping along to his theme song. I mean, that place was electric. And then for him to deliver that two-run double down the left field line, I mean, that moment perfectly encapsulated what Dylan Cruz has meant to LSU. And that that was the storybook way, like Koki mentioned, that's the storybook way for you to go out in your college baseball career. I mean, your last at bat 
in front of your home crowd was a two-run game ceiling double. I mean, it just it doesn't get much better than that. Um, so that was an incredible moment. Uh, obviously, the the team sealing the game and moving on to Omaha. The three-run homer from Beloso has to be up there as well. Um, and then James, all you know, people talk all the time about how special a super regional Alex Box Stadium is. Headed to the bottom of the ninth last night, they played Colin Baton Rouge. Wow. That was nuts. I mean, easily 13,000 people at Alex Box Stadium last night. It, it was truly a a wild experience. Our number one, just about in the books. Our number two, we're going to talk with Tyler Batiste about the NBA Finals. We're also going to look at the Houston Astros. We'll touch on the Canadian Open and Nick Taylor's 72-foot putt to win it. And more of your calls on the hotline again, 337-706-0111. Also here at Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast by heading to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Hour number one in the books, hour number two. We'll kick it off talking about the Houston Astros next right here on the game. 23.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the Houston Astros and the Omaha-bound LSU Tigers. We're back right after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's our number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. In our number one, we talked a lot about LSU advancing to the College World Series in Omaha for the first time since 2017 uh, to Jay Johnson's third trip to Omaha as a head coach and it is his first leading LSU we also touched on the NBA Finals game five tonight in Denver with the Nuggets up three to one in that series looking to close it out on their home floor it will be their first title in franchise history. Let's go to the game hotline now. Randall, what's up? Hey, how's it going? I I was just wondering, I took a look at the roster earlier today. Who might be, who's leaving? I know Dylan Cruz, but he's just a junior, but he's going pro, right? Absolutely. Skeens is just a sophomore. Yeah, he's going pro too. Okay. Who else? Because, I mean, I'm looking at the roster. A lot of freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. Trey Morgan will probably get drafted as well. Um, I would not be surprised if Jordan Thompson got drafted. And then, I mean, your your graduate students and your seniors, you're looking at Gavin Dugas. You're looking at Cade yeah. Beloso. Um, yeah. So they'll be losing a big core of their, their roster. Yeah, but I mean, when when you get when you get to the point where where LSU is, Jack Merrifield's a, a fifth year senior, so he will not return. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, when you get to this point, A, you have guys that are just waiting in the wings that can step up, but then you're also going to go attack the transfer portal and stuff like that. So it's to the point where they're just going to reload. Yeah, plus they got the, the number one dra- uh, recruiting class. Correct. Uh, it's the nation. So, uh, hey, you know, they could keep it up. Kudos to uh, Jay Johnson. So I'm looking forward to this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. We are, too. We appreciate the call, man. All right. You have a good one. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at it, looking at guys that could fill some some spots for you, I mean, we, we talk about Gavin Guidry as a pitcher. He's listed on the roster as an infielder. So he he could play a multitude of ways for LSU. Ben Nipple's a junior. He's likely back. Uh, Josh Pearson in left field was only a sophomore. You have Brady Neal, who came on big as a catcher. He's a freshman. You look at Josh Stevenson as a sophomore. Jared Jones is a freshman. Travinsky should be back next year as a redshirt junior. Paxton Kling is a freshman. So you've got a lot of talent, Ethan Fry. You've got a lot of talent coming back next year. Um, Tommy White's only a sophomore, so he will return. I, I'm i not worried about the future of this LSU baseball program. I think that they are going to be set to compete for national titles for several more years under Jay Johnson. Let's go back to the game hotline now. Sean, what's going on? I was just curious. Um, would this trade with the Charlotte Hornets and the New Orleans Pelicans possibly in, in, involve a certain someone who happens to be in the media lately? Uh, I, I mean, I don't have any inside sources. I can't, I can't confirm nor deny uh, but I mean, I have a feeling that name might get floated around. Because I mean, you don't trade the number two pick for just a bunch of picks. That just doesn't happen. Let's hope the guy that doesn't involve Brandon Ingram. The other guy can go. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll agree to disagree. Obviously, you know, you, you don't want the guy being involved in the media the way that he is, but. I, I just have a gut feeling that Zion Williamson is going to be what? healthier in twenty twenty three. Who mentioned Zion? Whoa, did I mention Zion in there? Whoa. Come, come on, hey. man. We know that's who you're talking about. Uh, maybe. <laughs> no, there's no maybe about it. That's who you're talking about. <laughs> um All right. I, I think I think he's gonna be a much healthier player and I think he's actually gonna be able to contribute for the Pelicans this year. Maybe well, I'm wrong. Agree to, agree to disagree there. DeMar Hamlin died faster and got back to the football court, football field faster than Zion could get back from his big toe or hamstring, whatever it was. It all blends together. Appreciate the call, man. All right, later. Again, I might be crazy for thinking so, and you're welcome to call me that. I think Zion's going to be healthy. You, you've seen it with guys in Idiot. the past struggle with health issues their first couple of years, and they find ways to contribute. Brandon Ingram struggled with it. I mean, that, that cat still struggles with health issues, but <laughs> maybe not the best example. Right. <laughs> there, there have been instances where guys spend – 
Yeah, there there have been definitely times where players who you've kind of people have labeled that player as an injury bug right. and he'll, can he'll never stay never, on the court. He'll or never on the be field. good. He'll never be that guy. And, and turns out to 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 be a superstar. I mean, God, people wrote Drew Brees off, and look what he did. He was arguably better post injury than he ever thought of being pre injury. And then Tyron Matthew. For a hot little minute, he would miss time in, yep. time out every year. So eventually he got the injury bug label as well. And lately he doesn't miss a lot of games. So it's like it's not impossible for a player, especially someone of a superstar to star of magnitude, to kind of break that label. But it's going to take a lot, and you don't have a lot of margin for error when it comes to missing games at this point. If I have learned anything from David Griffin watching him cover the Pelican or lead the Pelicans. I believe that he would trade Brandon Ingram before he traded Zion Williamson. I was going to say you put in a number one pick for, so Zion is more quote unquote untouchable than correct. Brandon Ingram. Now with Scoot being a point guard, he's a six, two point guard. You would draft in Dyson Daniels last year. Correct. And you've also had Kyra Lewis correct on the roster for a hot little minute now. And you also have Jose Alvarado. But you don't want to move on. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm just mentioning other point guards on the roster. Right, right, right. You'd probably throw Kyra and or Dyson. I would throw Kyra. And, and someone else with your 14. And, and, and some future picks. That way you can jump from 14 to 2. Kyra? Jackson, 14, and then, I don't know, when, when's, your, when's your next first-round pick? The one from the Lakers in 24? I'd probably throw that one in there, too. Two firsts, two young players. I mean, if, if Jackson can get his head out of his you-know-what, he's a good player. Um, but even even that, I don't know if that would be enough. Obviously, you're going to do everything you can to not give up B.I. Or, or Zion, even if that means giving up C.J. McCollum. I, I don't think that he's off the chopping block here either for the Pelicans. I understand having a veteran presence is is key, but also Jonas Valanciunas is kind of providing you that, right? Um, Garrett Temple is is providing you that. So I wouldn't be surprised if CJ's in that conversation. So for 2023, you got the 14 that you got from the Lakers. Correct. You've got your own pick in the second round. Correct. You also have Golden State's second round. Correct. And the Hornets' second round. So you have three seconds. And then for 2024, you've got the Lakers' 2024 first Mm -hmm. with an option to pick their 2025 instead Mm -hmm. from the Anthony Davis trade. Correct. You've got a 2024 first pick swap with the Bucks, so you have two firsts, and you take the higher of the two Correct. between yours and Milwaukee. Correct. So you have two firsts, mm-hmm. and then you also have Charlotte's 2024 second and the Bulls' 2024 second. The Pelicans would be taking the lower of the two. So what I would do, and and I, and I say this, loving CJ McCollum, and you also have Milwaukee's 2025 first. CJ, Kyra, Jackson, 
And then the 14? 14. Mm-hmm. And then if that's not enough, just to make sure the deal would get done, I would throw in one or two seconds. I just find it hard to believe that even though CJ isn't a top 10 to 15 guy, it's hard for me to see him get traded twice in a two-year span. I agree, but you have to trade. If you're a GM, right, mm-hmm. and you have to, you have to make a trade, and one of the pieces has to be CJ, Brandon Ingram, or Zion Williamson, who are you trading? Well, if I'm if I'm the Hornets who have the number two overall pick, yes, I'd want veteran guys, but I'd also rather just get young talent that I could work around and then be able to sign vet guys that have more playoff experience than, say, a CJ McCollum or a Brandon Ingram. Okay, so if you're... So I'd, I'd rather go get the young guys, like go get a Dyson Daniels, take Kyra, so if you're guy, the Hornets, and, and get and try and get other guys that can work well with LaMelo, not just taking CJ just because he could score you some points. The offense was already pretty well with the Hornets. It's just the defense that really sucked for him. So then if you're the Hornets, wouldn't you want a guy like Jose Alvarado? You could take Jose, but I feel like he got more length and size with Dyson. Dyson still needs to work on a shooting form. Would the Pelicans give up? Dyson just one year after they draft him? If you're getting scoot, are you really going to be upset with losing Dyson? Especially with you having to worry about progressing his three-point shooting? You wouldn't have to worry about that anymore? That's going to be an interesting... To, to, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because I, I know they didn't play him a whole lot this year, but I feel like Willie Green and David Griffin have faith in Dyson. Mm-hmm. But I, I do get your point. It is Scoot Henderson we're talking about here. Um, so uh, that that's going to be very interesting to to see how that kind of plays out for both the Charlotte Hornets and the New Orleans Pelicans. The Houston Astros, losers of four of their last five, or I'm sorry, five of their last six, uh, <laughs> will be at home to play the Washington Nationals. Starting tomorrow, the Astros are 37-29. and 29. They're five games behind the Texas Rangers, and that just hurts to say um, as an Astros fan. That is painful. You try to get away with saying five out of six. I tried. <laughs> I tried. The, um, the truth serum came out of you. Jordan Alvarez is still sitting on the 10-day IL. Uh, according to Astros general manager Dana Brown, the return from the 10-day injured list is still up in the air. It'll take a week at least to get a feel for how long that it's going to be. Uh, Ryan Stanek is also on the away list due to bereavement. And then Lance McCullers Jr. is sitting on the 15-day IL. Uh, so how long will he be out continues to be a mystery. Michael Brantley as well on Thursday, he hit in the cage and ran the bases, according to Brian McTaggart. Once again, the Astros will play tomorrow 7-10 against the Washington Nationals in the friendly confines of Minute Maid Park. It is the beginning of a nine-game homestand. 7-10 first pitch pregame at 640. Hunter Brown will be on the mound for the Astros, while the Nationals will face him with Patrick 
Corbin. 516, we'll take a timeout. When we return, James Mesh and I look at the LSU careers of Todd Walker, Eddie Furness, Ben McDonald, and Dylan Cruz. Who's the greatest Tiger to ever put on the uniform? We'll do that next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you were looking for great deals, then look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. Plenty of two-for-one deals available right now, including a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50 or a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for only $15. Once again, visit AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. 520, Matt Migas, James Mesh. We want to get your thoughts on this conversation. So if you have a thought, 337-706-0111. Looking at LSU baseball history, and there is a lot of it, um, there are many arguments that you could make for the best college baseball player to ever wear an LSU uniform. Some people believe that Dylan Cruz could be in that conversation. Look, Dylan again, Dylan Cruz has had a very special career at LSU. But it is going to be very, very, very hard to top the legacy that Todd Walker has created. I mean, if you look at the accolades, he was the 1992 Louisiana Freshman of the Year. He was first-team All-SEC as a freshman. He was a first-team Freshman All-American. He was named the National Freshman of the Year by Baseball America and collegiate baseball. And then in his sophomore season, he wins the SEC Player of the Year, was named the College World Series Most Outstanding Player, and was a finalist for the Golden Spikes Award. And then in 94, he makes the College World Series All-Tournament team. He's a first-team All-American and yet another finalist yet again for the Golden Spikes Award. He's also in the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame and the College Baseball Hall of Fame. And his number 12 is retired by LSU. He put three incredible seasons together in Baton Rouge and broke several SEC and LSU records. His freshman season at LSU, James, is still labeled the most phenomenal freshman season in school history. And he was the first LSU player to hit 400 in a season. Again, as a freshman, 18 years old, he led the Tigers in batting average, runs scored with 72, hits with 100, RBIs with 76, doubles with 21, triples with 3, homers with 12, and a slugging percentage of 652. He backed that up his sophomore season, leading the Tigers to a national championship, their second in three seasons. He hit 350 in Omaha with three homers and 12 RBIs. 
Uh, he led the Tigers in nearly every offensive category with a 395 batting average, 109 hits, 102 RBIs, 22 homers, and a slugging percentage of 775. James, these numbers are, are just insane. He leads the Tigers to their second consecutive College World Series in his junior season in 94, named the most outstanding player of the South Regional, hitting 438 in the regional. And he is LSU's all-time leader in homers with 52. And he finished the year as the Tigers' career leader in doubles, triples, batting average, and slugging percentage. So, after reading all of that, it's pretty easy to see why a lot of people believe that Todd Walker is the greatest Tiger ever. Eddie Furness might very well be one of the best hitters that LSU ha- has ever seen. His career batting average in four seasons with the Tigers is 371, including a 403 mark his senior season in 98. Uh, he was on the 1997 National Championship team. His freshman year, he had nine homers. His sophomore season, he came out with 26. The junior year that they won the national championship, he had 17. And then he finished it off with 28 homers in his senior season. Uh, so he now holds the batting average record at 403. That's going to get smashed by Dylan Cruz uh, with his 432 headed into, into Omaha. And then you've got Ben McDonald. And, you know, Ben McDonald won. The Golden Spikes Award, he is an All-American, he holds the school's strikeout record, the greatest pitcher that, that LSU baseball has ever seen. And then there's Dylan Cruz. Now, Dylan Cruz is not done yet. He still has to go play in Omaha. So is there time for him still to add on to his accolades? Yes. But... He is the only two-time conference player of the year. He is hitting 433, which I mentioned he's going to smash the batting average record at, at LSU. 89 runs scored it is, is closing in on a record. Slugging percentage of 732 is marking that territory as well. An OPS of 1.303 has to be a record. But stats aside, what Dylan Cruz has meant for this LSU baseball program, you know, last season he had the stellar year, which fell just short when they lost to Southern Miss, right? And then... You know, last year he has 22 home runs, 72 RBIs, and that was after having a 18 homer, 42 RBI freshman season. You know, he comes back last year with, with the 22 homer performance. He's got 17 this year with 64 RBIs. He was walked 61 times, most in a season in his career. He was a first team All American last year, SEC Co Player of the Year, first team All SEC. He was a freshman All-American. He made the freshman SEC team. You know, list goes on and on. If he adds a national championship to this resume and maybe a 
you know, College World Series most outstanding player and say he wins one of the Golden Spikes Award or the Dick Hauser Trophy, both he and Paul Skeens are finalists for both awards, say he wins one of those. Is that still enough for him to be viewed the greatest Tiger of all time? I'm going to say no, but it's damn close. Now, is that resume enough for LSU to retire the number three? Yes. Yes. 100%. It is enough for him to have his number next to Todd Walker and Eddie Fairness. 100%. But again, you heard me read off Todd Walker's resume. It's going to be hard to touch that. It's tough. And if Dylan Cruz and LSU Tigers win this year, I'd be more willing and open to it because he's got the accolades. He ends up being a national champion like we've seen with Todd Walker and, and company. But it would probably have to marinate me marinate with me for a while before I kind of we look at kind of like the whole career and give it a few years and look back at me like okay I I would maybe give Dylan Cruz the benefit of the doubt and have him be the greatest LSU Tiger of all time and you see whether this is fair or not some people might also factor in Todd Walker's major league stats no no he, he didn't do anything that was Oh my God, eye-popping. He had a career batting average of 289. He hit over 100 home runs in his career. Um, so, I mean, standard numbers, but he did play 12 seasons. So, I, I don't know if some people maybe put that into, you know, if he's the greatest Tiger of all time. I probably wouldn't since... That's not fair if they do. I don't, I don't think you should because you should look at it strictly sure. of when he was in a Tiger's uniform. For sure. Um, it's the same thing with looking at other greats from other sports or other teams. Like, I wouldn't factor in Adrian Peterson as one of the greatest all, Saints of all time when correct a lot of his hardware and his stats and notoriety came, came from being in Minnesota. For sure. Now, if Dylan Cruz absolutely goes ballistic in Omaha, you know, bats 500 with six homers and 20-something RBIs, <laughs> Well, then we can talk. Because if you deliver like that on the biggest stage, we can talk. Today, Todd Walker is still the best Tiger ever. But Dylan Cruz might be in second. He's up there. Dylan Cruz might be in second. Uh, maybe maybe 2A and 2B with him and Ben McDonald. Uh, because, I mean, Ben as a pitcher was just... Talk about Paul Skeens. Ben McDonald was it. Skeens is close, though, he with is. that strikeout record. He is, and he might get it. Ben Ben said so himself this weekend that, you know, if Skeens can have a dazzling outing, maybe he appears twice in Omaha, which I, it, it could b- be close. Barring an utter catastrophe, I think you should see Skeens twice in the World Series. See, if you go the distance... I could see him pitching three times mm-hmm. unless he throws a complete game in his first outing. Because he's 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 had back-to-back complete games now. 
if you limit him to six, or I'm sorry, his game Saturday wasn't a complete game, but it was close. Um, if you limit him to six or so innings, and then you pull him as a reliever, say Monday, Tuesday, and then he's rested up again to pitch in the championship series if you make it that far, I could see you throwing him twice. I mean, three times. But twice for sure. Yeah. If you go the distance. Um, you know, you, you look at his strikeout numbers this year. He's at 188. The record is 203. So it's not unreasonable. That's 15 away. That's not unreasonable for Paul Skeens. He's gotten 15 in a game this season. Um, so it, it's very much within reach if LSU makes a run at a national championship. Uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see how that holds up. We'll take a timeout, 532 now. Tyler Batiste, the managing editor of The Athletic, joins us next to preview Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Can the Joker add the Larry O'Brien trophy to his resume? We'll do that next. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. James Mesh needs a wingman, but he won't let me be one for him. And I, I just think it's a shame. Welcome back to Crunch Time 536, almost 537. It's time to talk some NBA Finals Game 5 tonight inside Ball Arena in Denver, Colorado between the Heat and the Nuggets. Can the Nuggets close it out and win their first NBA championship in franchise history? Tyler Batiste, the managing editor of The Athletic, joins us now on the Game Hotline. Tyler, what's going on, my man? How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. So, look, this series has gone... Pretty much like like most people thought that it would. Um, I, I thought that Miami would have taken Game Three. Um, so so really, I was expecting it to be a two two scenario right now. But you know, what has Denver done differently that that maybe Miami just hasn't been able to overcome? Uh, they have Nikola Jokic, and Miami doesn't. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's I think fair. A lot, of, a lot of it just comes down to that, right? I mean, we we talked, um, looked at Denver in the Western Conference all year, and and you know talked about how Golden State just needed to get healthy to repeat, and how the Lakers were potentially set up for a run after the trade deadline, and 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 Memphis, and and Kevin Durant, and Phoenix, and all these things, and and Denver just went about its business throughout the regular season, dominated, was the number one seed, would have been the number one seed by um, an even greater margin if they didn't sort of take their foot off the gas toward the last few weeks of the season to gear up for the playoff run, which obviously looks to be like a, a smart decision. Um, sometimes it's sometimes it's as simple as that, that the best team in the league ends up winning the championship, and, and this seems to be the case uh, this year. You know, apologies to you know Milwaukee and Boston, who – you know, had better records than Denver, but it's not like this is a certain surprise or, or, or this is a, a situation that Denver, um, you know, all of a sudden got hot at the right time. They were the one seed for a reason. They've got a two-time MVP, and they've got, to, to get kind of to the core of your question, their starting five is just dominant. Um, you know, uh, obviously that helps in the playoffs when you're only playing eight or nine guys. You rely on um, that starting five a little bit more. There's not a lot of backs. There's no back-to-backs 
um, and you're really leaning on the, the 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 top of your lineup. And for a team like Denver, that's really um, that's really kind of uh, catapulted them to the cusp of an NBA title. You know, you you talk about how good Nikola Jokic has been, and, and certainly don't disagree there. Uh, but you see, to me, if I was in charge of of granting a guy a most outstanding player of the finals, I think I'd have to give it to Jamal Murray. I mean, he has just been the the energy that kind of makes this team go because you know what you're going to get out of Nikola Jokic, right? Like, he's a walking triple-double. Jamal Murray has been the guy that you were kind of like, you know he's good, but how good is he going to be on this stage? And he has delivered. Yeah, man, I think I, John Hollinger wrote a couple of days ago just kind of looking at the how unprecedented it is to to have a player like Jamal Murray um, his numbers in, in, in 50 career playoff games are kind of on par with like the all-time greats. We're talking LeBron, Steph, Jordan, Jerry West, those types of guys. And then you look at Jamal Murray, who's you know putting up 25, five and five or something, um, or at least hitting those benchmarks in his in his playoff career. Um, it's been as a basketball fan fun to watch him bounce back from the knee injury. You know, a lot of times you see the promise of a player um, as Jamal Murray had in the bubble. And then to have an injury, and you always talk about, okay, when this player gets back, it's going to be something special to watch. And a lot of times that doesn't happen because the knee injury or whatever injury it is kind of uh, saps someone's athleticism or, you know, makes them change the way that they play. That hasn't happened with Jamal Murray. You saw it. He missed all the last season. He kind of used all of this season to kind of ramp up to what he is now. Um, and that's a very, very special player. Obviously, he and Jokic form probably the most the most lethal two man game in the league and, and, and you look at you know those guys are both under contract for the next couple of years. You you kind of already look at what that could be in the future. And it also kind of makes you think of of what this could have been in the past, right? If if Murray doesn't get hurt in the end of uh, or the beginning of twenty twenty one, does Denver have this type of run in twenty twenty one? If he's not hurt last season, do they have this type of run last year? Maybe maybe the Nuggets missed out on a title or two um, if Murray was going to come back and play the way he is now. But, again, as a basketball fan, it's fun to watch those two guys and all of Denver play. And, uh, you know, there's a, that's, he's a big reason that they're on the, you know, about to win a title, it looks like. Now, with, with Miami, you know, there's been talks that they are the favorite to, to land Damian Lillard this offseason. Obviously, you still have a window of a couple more years with Jimmy Butler. And then you have Bam Adebayo, who's a nice player. But beyond that, it's a bunch of – undrafted guys and, and second-round picks that have just kind of worked out. Um, you know, c- could they go after uh, Damian Lillard, and what does a trade package for Dame look like? You know, I, I, a lot of people are talking about that. I think it makes sense on paper uh, that, that Miami, you know, Gabe Vincent is going to be a free agent. Um, uh, you know, what Miami really needs is, a, you know, a, a point guard to kind of orchestrate the offense. Kyle Lowry has been hit or miss, and, you know, he's been coming off the bench, and obviously he's, you know, 37, 38 years old at this point. Uh, you know, a point guard is a kind of a glaring need for them. Um, the thing you have to worry about is is, is if you bring in uh, someone of, of Damian Lillard's caliber, obviously his salary is going to be extremely high, and he's a player that uh, you really needs the ball in his hands um, to, to kind of play the way that we know him to play. Um, obviously, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo can do things without the ball in their hands, but there's only one basketball to go around, right? So, um, I mean, if you're talking about potential trade packages, you know, Duncan Robinson's contract stands out, Tyler Hero as well. Uh, Miami does have, uh, you know, some draft picks that they can deal with as well. You've got Caleb Martin, although I don't, I doubt that you want to get rid of all of those guys. 
Uh, Victor Oladipo, of course, is, is is injured after he uh, you know injured his knee early in the playoffs. He's got, I think, a nine and a half or so million dollar uh, player option uh, next year that you would expect him to, to opt into, and maybe his 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 contract can be used in any sort of a deal. But you know, a trade takes two teams, right? So you can't just cobble together a bunch of pro, uh, a bunch of contracts and, and just send them off to another team. The other team has to be willing to want those players and to to eat that salary. So. Uh, it takes two to tango, um, but you know Damian Lillard in Miami absolutely would be a, a fun prospect if it if it were to come together. We'll see. Now, while we're on the subject of trades, there's been some conversation today regarding the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, apparently, there's some rumors that the Pelicans are looking to move up to two to get the services of, of Scoot Henderson. What does a trade package to jump from 14 to two look like if you're New Orleans? Well, you know, they uh, even similar to Miami, I think uh, New Orleans is probably a team that could probably use a a, a point guard type type person as well. I think it's interesting the um, you know the Dame Lillard CJ McCollum tandem didn't really work out in Portland. It's interesting to to want to have that pairing again in another city when those guys are a few years older. Um, I, I would imagine that Portland wouldn't be interested in, in bringing back CJ McCollum. Um, after uh, they traded him away, but maybe maybe there is they, there is some interest there. Um, you know, w- with the Pelicans. Uh, um, I'm, wait, hold up. I'm getting my. We're talking about Scoot Henderson, not Dame Lillard. Goodness, what a day! Uh, <laughs> I was like, wait, hold up. That doesn't make sense at all. But pardon me. Let me start all this over. I was still thinking about the Heat, man. You're I'm focused good. on Game Five. You're good. Yeah, man. The Pelicans. I think again. The, the point remains that I think they do need a point guard. Um, Jose Alvarado is good, but I, I don't know if he's kind of a starting caliber guard. He's kind mm-hmm. of a more of a pest off the bench. Um, you know, trying to get—I I was thinking of uh, you know trading up to number three to get to, to get Scoot Henderson is where my mind was. Portland has the third pick, but um, you know they've got obviously uh, uh, Valentunas is on an expiring deal. They've got Dyson Daniels and Trey Murphy and Herbert Jones. I would imagine that you would not want to give up all of your young talent to move up to number two where Charlotte is to, to try to get Scoot Henderson, or if you think Charlotte is going to, um, is going to end up taking, uh, you know, someone else, maybe they, maybe move it up to three is a little bit less of a price, but um, that's an interesting prospect. I don't know if it's something that the Pelicans absolutely need to do. I think as we've talked about in the past, they just need to be healthy with the team that they have um, and, and adding a, a whole nother player of that caliber might do them wonders, but also, I, I kind of just I'm curious to see what they what they what they do if they just run it back with with a healthy team and Zion Williamson. Sorry about that, man. I'm I'm reading I'm reading Damian Lillard stuff right now, and I was I started talking. I was like, wait, that's not even what he asked me. So, nah, dude, apologies you, to the people out there. It's a long season. Season's about to end, guys. You're 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 all good, man. Tyler Baptista, the Athletic, joining us. Before we get back to Game Five, Tyler, I know you're you're an LSU grad. Uh, Tigers baseball headed back to Omaha. How you feel? Good man, I, I was uh, the weather was bad here in Texas uh, yesterday, so the, the uh, at the bar the, the cable kept going in and out. But we, you know, we saw I saw the beginning of the game. I saw Dylan Cruz's uh, you know big two run RBI to kind of extend that lead uh, toward the end of the game, and uh, got to feel exciting, man. They, I think they, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think they're on the side of the bracket. If they win the first game, they probably have to play Wake Forest, who's Correct. a really good team, which is not ideal for the Tigers, but you know. Um, any season that they don't get to Omaha is, is probably considered a disappointment. So I'm sure the bars and the restaurants in Omaha 
are happy they're going to have some Tiger faithful up there this weekend and next week, hopefully. Right, right, right. Game five of the NBA <laughs> Finals tonight, Denver and Miami. Look, I, I think Denver closes it out tonight. Uh, w- what are your thoughts? Are they lifting the trophy tonight? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, going back home, uh, it, it really seemed like the past couple games, Miami sort of uh, run out of gas. Um, you know, it was just an amazing accomplishment to even get to this point as an AC to reach the finals and, and, and win a game. But um, this, this only one team has come back from that 3-1 deficit, um, you know, to win a championship, and that was, uh, you know, LeBron and the Cavs back in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, this seems like it's Denver's title to lose and, and, and them being at home. That crowd is going to be um, insane, I would imagine. Um, they're going to have the, all the bells and whistles to, to, to be prepped for a celebration. And, um, you know, with those guys, Nikola Jokic seems like a guy who's going to kind of really ignore all of that stuff and just and play to win the basketball game and not worry about the pomp and circumstance. A lot of players say that they can do that, but he seems like somebody – who can actually do it, and, and, and if he's locked in, it's going to be tough for Miami to win. Tyler Batiste joining us. Tyler, before you run, if the Nuggets do win tonight, who's your finals MVP? I think it's Jokic. I mean, as, as good as Jamal Murray has played, uh, this is kind of the culmination of, uh, of, of you know, the a crowning achievement for, for Jokic, two-time MVP to go down as, as one of the, the, the greatest players of all time. Um, if it weren't close, you know, if Murray was – Head and shoulders uh, better than Jokic. I, w- I would probably give it to him, but if it's a tie, I think the tie goes to to, to the Joker. Tyler, appreciate your time, man. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we'll talk soon. Now, hey, maybe Damian Lillard does end up with Pelican. We'll see. Oh, that would be something. <laughs> that would right, be man. something. Appreciate you, my man. And there he goes, Tyler Batiste, managing editor for the Athletic NBA. We'll take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show right after this. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back, 554, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Pro Football Focus has this new tool that I think is kind of cool. It's a season simulator where you can pick your team and you click start and it breaks down game by game and it gives a prediction of what the computer thinks will happen. And then at the end, it gives you the record. It gives you everybody's stats, you know, really, really kind of in depth. Um, I'm actually running one as we speak. According to Pro Football Focus, the Saints finished 12-5. and uh, Derek Carr goes for 4,400 yards, 32 touchdowns, and only 11 interceptions. While Michael Thomas has 621 receiving yards and 9 tutties. And then Alvin Kamara gets 1,682 total yards, with 1085 of those coming on the ground with 8 rushing touchdowns on the season. James, realistic that the Saints go 12 and 5 in 2023 or nope. I think you're on copium with that one. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um I think the ceiling is 11 and 6. I think that's pretty much a best case scenario. Yeah, I think that's your ceiling. Now, um, if everything goes absolutely perfect for you, 12 and 5, 13 and 4 maybe. Yeah. But do we really think the Saints are going to have that much in their favor? And also, I'm looking at the results that this produced. 
there's no way you lose twice to Carolina. Oh, there's just no way. Granted, you make up for it by outscoring Atlanta 66 to zero in two games. <laughs> that would be glorious. Uh, but then you also lose a close one to the Texans. You lose by three to the Jaguars, and then you lose fourteen and three to the Giants. But hey, twelve and five, not too shabby. If and a thirty-two to eleven touchdown ratio by your first-year quarterback, again, pretty solid. If you ask me, I want to take this opportunity to thank our guest today, Koki Riley. For talking LSU headed to Omaha and Tyler Batiste talking about the NBA Finals. Game five of the NBA Finals tonight. James, quickly, who wins it? We're gonna we're gonna have to wait for the draft. Because it's ending tonight. Oh, yeah, it is. That's what I'm talking about. I, I think so too. I, I think they just have too much momentum. They're gonna be back home. It's just a perfect storm that Miami's not gonna be able to get out of. They're gonna wanna see the Larry O'Brien trophy. In Denver, instead Correct. of having to get the ceremony in Miami. Correct. Like, just rather get it over with now. Correct. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, and give a hug to your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow, 4 to 6, right here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And it is your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.